I had mentioned uh, a little bit ago uh, during announcements that I have children. If you guys know me, you know that I have three kids. And uh, our kids have just had an awesome break. You know, we've been home and playing lots of games with them and hanging out in the snow and just doing all kinds of stuff like that. It is going to be so hard for them when that alarm goes off and they have to go back to school. Yeah, it's going to be so crazy. I guess maybe it won't be tomorrow. I don't know what day it'll be, but it's going to be so bad for them when they got to get up and drag themselves to school. They have just so enjoyed the break. But over the break, you know, we, we've, we've had a lot of good times playing outside in different times, but it's been really cold some of the days where it was like too cold to even go outside. Like they, they were like begging, I'm like, no way, it's just way too cold to be out there. And so you're kind of doing some stuff inside. And there's been a lot of uh, football to watch too on the break too, which has kind of been nice since it's been cold. And we've been watching bowl games and watching playoffs and, and stuff like that. It's been pretty awesome. And I got two boys and they love watching the games and, and I do too. And I got a daughter then who sometimes thinks we watch too much football and, and you know, kind of just wonders like why we have to watch it all. And it's a really big deal. Like who holds the remote at the, at the house, you know? I mean, maybe it's not the big deal in your family, but in our family, it's kind of a big deal. Like who's in, who's got the remote in their hand. And uh, you know, it's a difference. It could be the difference between watching the NFL playoffs yesterday. Okay. Or watching like the, 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 Hallmark Holiday Movie Marathon, or something like that, you know? I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, could you imagine if one of my friends called me and said, hey, did you see the end of that game, man? That was amazing. You know, the Colts came back. That was awesome. You see, that catch was amazing. And I'm like, no, I missed that. But, but I did see their dramatic conclusion of uh, finding a home in the heart for Christmas or something like that. You know, I mean, I, Hallmark movies the same. They have a different title. And, um, you know, I... It's like, oh my goodness, you know, I did see that, and that was pretty dramatic, and that was really moving, and I, you know, I cried, and, and that kind of thing. It's, it's a big deal. So, I have an awesome wife, though, and she lets us watch plenty of football at our house, and so we've had a, a really good break. But you know why, you know why the remote is so important? Why it's so important who, who, who's got it? Because what's the second word? It's remote control. And see, that's what it comes down to, right? It's all about control, because frankly, I, I like to be in control of my life, and you probably do as well. And so it all comes down to control. That's why it's such a big deal. You know, and, and that's why, you know, as we grow up, as we age, I have kids now that are kind of getting a little older, and I was a kid one time, and now I'm getting older. You know, as they become teenagers and get older, it's such a big deal because control, they want to control their lives, and they become more independent, and, and they want to make decisions for themselves. They don't want someone else telling them what they have to do with their time. What do you mean i got to take a nap? I don't want to take a nap. I'm, I'm wide awake. I don't want to take a nap. You know, those kinds of things, they get older. It's like, what do you mean I can't go out with my friends? I have friends. I want to go out. I don't want to be here with you. You know, I want to go outside, you know. And so these decisions kind of get bigger and bigger as they get older. And they want to make those decisions themselves because they think that they uh, know how they should spend their lives. As we get older, we become more dependent. And we sort of have this feeling like, you know, I have unlocked the secrets of the world. Okay. And I can make great decisions on my own. And God has given me insight that, you know, he hasn't given to, to parents. And, and, and so I can just be awesome by myself, okay? And those are the kind of things that at least I thought as a teenager, and I think my kids are starting to think, and, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe you can, you know, um, deal with that, or maybe you can relate to that a little bit as your kids have gotten older, as you've gotten older. It all comes back to control. And then the series, as we have talked about all of that we really need for Christmas, God's really pricked my heart about the things that I really need because inside of me, I have these things that I really want, and, and, and I sometimes push them to the category of things that I need. And so God has really challenged me, as Jim and Rich have been preaching, on what are the things that we really do need in our lives. And, and today we're going to talk about one that is probably the biggest battle for me, and that's this battle of control. 
because I think that I need to be in control of my life, and God has a different plan. He, he says that actually he should be the one that's in control of my life. One of the things that I have noticed is I've read through the Christmas story this, this Christmas season. I've been going through the, you know, the Gospels and the story of, uh, and Matthew and Luke and reading about the different characters. And maybe you were kind of doing that through the month of December with your you know, devotion time. That's what I was doing. And one of the things that really just stuck out to me this year as I was reading the devotions or as I was reading through the, the stories was how human the characters in the Christmas story were. Just how, how normal they were. I mean, think about the major characters in the story, okay? Think about how normal they were. Like the shepherds, when they come on the scene in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, like what were they doing? They were out on a hillside at night keeping watch over their flock, right? Watching the sheep. That's what shepherds did. They watched sheep. They watched them on hills, and they watched them apparently at nighttime too. That's like what they did. Or you think about, uh, you think about Zachariah. He was a priest, and when the angel came to him and told him that he was going to have a son, he was in the temple. That's what priests where that's where they work. He, he was at the temple doing his job. Or, uh, um, let's see, who are some of the other characters? Oh, Joseph. Yeah, he was really heroic when the angel came to him. He was sleeping. He was sleeping because that's what normal people do. They, at nighttime, they sleep. And he was so normal. The Magi, they were watching the stars. Well, that's what Magi do. That's what their job was. If Christmas were to happen today, I imagine the characters in the story would be doing just jobs that we're kind of used to, jobs that are normal to us, because that's what the characters were doing. They weren't chosen to be a part of the greatest story ever told because they had some special skill or because of special position that they had in life. No, the reason that the characters in the Christmas story were chosen to be a part of the story was simply that when God came to them and asked for control of their lives, they said that they were available. That's why they're a part of the story. And I imagine if they would have said no, if their attitude would have been different, I'm not really interested in the angel's story or whatever they're saying, then God would have simply told someone else. He would have used someone else to accomplish his plan. Because that's what God does. He's, he's in charge of our world and he's going to get things done. And he's just looking for people that are available. And that's what made those people stand out. See, what we're talking about today is something that's really a lot more important than who controls what a family watches on television. And everything comes back to this one ultimate question. Who will you let be in control of your life? Who will you let be in control of your life? So as we wrap up this series, here is the basic answer for everything that we've talked about. All that I need is to let God be in complete control of my life. Because here's something I want you guys to hear and get. Whether you're 13, whether you're 43, or whether you're 83, this statement is true for every single person, okay? This is as true as true can be in God's economy. And here it is. You have no idea what God might want to use you to accomplish in this world. You have no idea. As you sit here today, you have no idea what the future holds for your life. You have no idea what's going to happen in 2014. And you don't know how God might want to use you to change our world. That's a pretty awesome thought, isn't it? That's pretty exciting to me to think that I'm an ordinary person. I'm like those Christmas people, and God might use me to do something extraordinary. Well, the same is true for you. You have no idea 
what God might want to use you to accomplish in this world. As you look at your life, you might think you don't have much potential. But I want to tell you that God, when he looks at you, he sees all kinds of potential. All kinds of potential in you. And you have no idea what he wants to do. And what will determine how much of that potential you will live out comes down to this question of control. Who will you let be in control of your heart? Because you've kind of been in control for a long time. And we, even sometimes we give God control for a little bit, but we sort of wrestle it back. This is a big deal, who we let control our hearts. There's so much potential in, in, in these rooms as God continues to write history, which is simply his story on the pages of eternity. And what will God write about you in the story that he's writing today? History is filled with the lives of, of men and women, of boys and girls who allowed God complete access to their hearts and went on to do incredible things for God and lived life as an adventure. But history is also filled with the lives of men and women, of boys and girls, of, of young men and young women who, who never allowed God control of their lives. And so they just simply lived here on earth and finished out their days and weren't a part of the adventure that God had for them. It's been that way since the very beginning, all the way back to Genesis. And so we're going to take a look at a story there. And so get at your Bibles and turn to Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. If you would like to follow along today, we have ushers here in this room and also in the link, and they will gladly get a Bible in your hands. Just raise your hand up, because we want you to follow along today in the Bible. And that's our gift to you if, if you don't have one at home. Genesis chapter 25 is where we're going to be. So go ahead and put your finger in that, Genesis chapter 25. But uh, just put your finger there, and, and, and I want to set up that passage first. So, so just kind of listen for a few moments. We'll, we will get to Genesis 25, I promise. But let's go back and just kind of set up this passage. I want to set up Genesis for you, all the way back to the very beginning, because Genesis is the beginning of history that's recorded for us. It's the beginning of our world. And in the beginning, God created a magnificent paradise that was good. It was perfect, a great place. Adam and Eve, they had it made. They had everything they needed. They lived in a magnificent place, and they had a wonderful relationship with God. And that's what they were created for. And that's what we were created for, to be honest with you. And that's why we feel so restless in our world today, because we're not in that tight, close relationship with God in that magnificent paradise that he made us for. God, as good as things, though, were for Adam and Eve, they still wanted more. And so they chose to break God's law. They broke God's rule. And when they broke God's rule, the world got broke. The world was broken that they were living in. And even kids understand that when, when you break a rule, that you have to pay a price. And so Adam and Eve got banished from the garden, and they got their relationship with God, was now separated, and sin had entered the world and had broken things. Sin was passed down from generation to generation, and so everyone now has a broken relationship with God. That's how we're born. When sin entered the world, it ruined everything. Paradise was ruined. Man's relationship with God was ruined. Everything was ruined. And instead of getting better and better, the world got worse and worse. And in fact, it got so bad that God chose to wipe the slate clean and to start over. And so he sent this worldwide flood and he started over with a man named Noah and his family. And as Noah's family grew and grew, God's plan began to unfold. And God promised that he would send eventually a rescuer who would lead us into an even more magnificent paradise one day in the future. 
As Noah's family grew and grew, people formed tribes and according to their languages, and they moved all over the world. And then God chose from one specific people group, from one specific tribe, he chose a man named Abram. And God gave a promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Let me read for you this promise that God gave to Abram. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and I will put a curse on anyone who calls down a curse on you and all nations on earth will be blessed because of you. That's a pretty awesome promise. When God comes and says, hey, I'm going to rock the entire world through you. I'm going to change the world through you. I'm going to bless the whole world through your family. That's pretty cool. And so Abraham, who he later became known as, had this incredible promise that God was going to change the world through him. And he had a son whose name was Isaac. And then Isaac had two boys. And today we're going to look at their story in Genesis chapter 25, Esau and Jacob. And so Genesis chapter 25, I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. You can follow along. We're going to read verses 19 to 26. You can follow along as I read for us Genesis 25, verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Paddan Aram and the sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Esau means red. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Esau named Red because he was red when he came out. Jacob, he was named Jacob because he was holding his brother's heel is what the scripture says. In Hebrew, the name literally means grabbing at the heel. And he was a deceiver. And as you'll see in this story, and then if you would continue to read through Genesis, you'll see that he deceived lots of people. And so the, the idea, as it translates into our, into our language, we would say he was a person who was pulling someone's leg, and that's why he got the name Jacob. He was pulling someone's leg when he came out, and that's who he lived up to be. And so that's Jacob, and that's Esau. God wanted to write an incredible story through Esau, okay? He was going to be a major player. He was the firstborn son of Isaac. He was the very first grandson of Abraham. Remember, who had this incredible promise that I read from Genesis 12, how God was going to bless the whole world through this family. Well, Esau was going to be a major player. He was the first grandson, the firstborn son of Isaac, and he was going to be a major player. You talk about someone who God wanted to use to make a significant mark. Jacob was the second born. He didn't have many special privileges that his brother had. He lived in the shadow of his older brother. And those of you guys that are, that are siblings or have been a younger sibling, you sort of understand that. You often get what your older brother or sister does not want anymore. That's kind of your gift. That's what you get in life, right? And they're always doing things that you wish you could do, right? The younger brother is always saying, or the younger sister is always saying, how come I can't stay up that late? 
How come I don't have a cell phone? How come I can't have friends over? How come I can't, right? That's, you, you live there, right? I live there. Maybe you don't, okay? But I do. And, and that's kind of what it's like. And, and you know, it's, it's sad. The opposite isn't true. The older siblings typically never want what the younger ones have. Oh, I want that shirt back from three, three years ago that I used to wear. Now, they don't, they don't do that. They don't want anything back. They don't want what the younger one has. And so, and so they're kind of stuck here in this position. And that was sort of Jacob's life. There was this tension that was between he and his older brother. And it was even worse for Jacob because in the culture that they lived in, Esau was the firstborn uh, son, and that carried a lot of perks. There was something called a birthright. In the ancient Near East, this was kind of where they lived. And, and there was this thing called a birthright. And that was very significant. And the oldest son who was born in the family received a birthright. And basically that meant three things. I want to kind of explain it to you because we don't understand what a birthright is. Number one, when mom and dad would pass away, the person with the birthright received double, double the inheritance of anybody else, twice as much. So that's a pretty big deal, right? We all like money. And so, wow, they had twice as much as anybody else. The second thing, the birthright meant that the oldest, or the person with the birthright meant that son was now in charge of the family. When mom and dad passed away, they were the one who made decisions for the family. And so people could give input. Other brothers could say what they wanted to say, or sisters or whatever could kind of give their take. But then it was the oldest brothers, the one with the birthright, who would make decisions for the family. He was the one, and there was no arguing with him. And maybe that doesn't sound like a big deal to you, because in our, our situation, we live so differently. I have a sister who lives in Florida. I have two brothers that live in Pennsylvania. I live in Indiana. If they make decisions, it doesn't totally affect me a lot. But that was not the case when they lived. Okay, family was much more in community with each other. They needed each other to survive. Abraham, Isaac, their families, they were called Bedouins. They would travel. They would live in tents, and they would travel around from place to place. And their family is what, number one, gave them security, right? I mean, they needed each other to protect themselves and, and to, for their financial well-being. They needed each other. They had a family business, and they all did it together. And that was how they survived. And so having to listen to your brother for the rest of your life was like a big deal. And so whoever had the birthright, that was, that was huge. And so they had money. Now they also had power. And the third thing that goes along with the birthright is they had this sense of blessing, this special blessing from God that somehow he was going to bless him and his family more than the others. I don't totally understand how that all works, but that was kind of it. The birthright was a very big deal. And even from the very beginning, we see that Jacob was wanting that. There was that tension. Even from the birth story, Jacob was wanting what Esau had. And, and, and so there was this tension between the brothers. There was this desire that he had. And then you put on top of the birthright, the special blessing that God had given to this family, that God would, you know, send a rescuer, that God would bless the entire world. I mean, Jacob wanted in on that. And so that was also a big deal. Well, let's put the story up there in verse 27. Verse 27, chapter 25. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter. He was a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now you see, man, here's, here's, uh, here's a case of sibling rivalry, and now it gets even pushed up even more by the parents because they have favorites. Not a good thing, right? But we see a little bit about Isaac, I'm sorry, about Esau and Jacob in this verse. Esau was a, a skillful hunter. 
a man of the open country. He, was, he, he loved to be outdoors. That was kind of his thing. He probably was like that guy in the Dr. Pepper commercial. He ate bark right off the tree. That was his breakfast, man. He just write that up. Man, that was his breakfast. He liked that. Good protein for him to get started. He was a man's man. Probably drove a truck or maybe a Jeep. He probably hunted. And uh, he probably just, he killed and then he grilled. That was his life. That was what he did. Esau would have totally had a reality show on the animal planet. But he'd have been way even cooler than Turtle Man, as cool as he is. All right? he, he probably would have his reality show where, where he would wrestle alligators, but he would do it while riding a bear. And then he would maybe have a lion strapped to his back. That's the kind of guy that Esau was. You know, as I was reading this story, I was kind of thinking, I can relate to him. I'm kind of like that myself. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was way more, I'm way more like Jacob. Jacob was the inside guy, right? Esau was the one. He was a man's man. He was competent. He was the firstborn. You could see why God wanted to use him to be the leader of a nation that he was starting. The Bible describes Jacob as someone who was content to be among the tents. Jacob liked to to be inside. And and honestly, that that is probably more me. He was a homebody. He was a mama's boy. He took care of the sheep. And if you'd be looking for a brother who's going to lead the nation, he probably would not be your first choice. In verse 29, let's pick the story up again. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country. He was famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that is why he was called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. And this is where the story takes kind of interesting turn for these brothers. It says once when Jacob was cooking, and that's normal because remember he was the inside guy. He probably did that a lot. One time when he, you know, once out of several times when he was cooking, Jacob was in the tent doing his cooking. He was the inside guy. He was cleaning. He was decorating. He would have probably had a show on HGTV. Uh, Esau comes in from working in the field and he's starving and he's about to die if he doesn't eat soon. And Jacob is inside cooking stew. And for once in Jacob's life, he now has something that the older brother wants. He has something that the older brother needs. He is in a position of power, and he doesn't want to let this go by. And so he asks his brother, he says, sure, I will give you what you want, some stew, if you will give me the most important thing in your life, the birthright. Now, if we pause for a moment from the story, we kind of put the story away and we just pause the author of the story, who most people think Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, is begging us to ask a question as we read this story, right? Begging us to ask the way that he sets it up. It, the question is so obvious because if we know all the history of this family, we know the promises that God made to Abraham, and we know what the birthright is all about, and I've kind of brought you a little bit up to speed And they understood it way more than even we do. And I'm sure Jacob and Esau were told from the times they were were boys about this promise that God had made to their grandfather Abraham about their family. And knowing all of that, don't you have to ask yourself the question, who in their right mind would trade a birthright for a bowl of soup? Right? Don't you ask that? You're reading this thing. Who, Who would trade their birthright for a bowl of soup? I mean, who would do that sort of thing? And the answer is, I bet you would. I bet lots of you are doing it right now. Because we all do. I know I've done it. 
As a pastor, I see people do it all the time. But I don't want you to. You see, you have no idea what God might want to accomplish through you in this world. You don't know. God wants to do great things in your heart. God wants to change you into someone that you you don't even think you could be. Listen, you're not stuck as you are. You're not stuck where you're at. God wants to take you places and do things that you maybe even haven't thought about doing for his kingdom. We have such low expectations for ourselves. And God wants to do incredible things that we can't even think about, comprehend, or understand. We are not stuck, but, but maybe that's why we're scared. Maybe, we, maybe we're kind of nervous about God will ask us to do what he will ask us to do if we say to him, God, you're in complete control of my life. God, you are number one on my throne. God, whatever you want me to do, I'm in. Wherever you ask me to go, God, I'm following you. That's scary to us. And so just like Esau, maybe you have this future that God wants for you, but you're tempted to trade it all for what you can see right in front of you. What will meet your immediate appetite for comfort, for safety, and for ease? You say things like, I could never, ever switch careers. I could never move away from my family. I could never give up this house. I could never go to the other side of the world. I could never let my kids live far away from me. Those are the thoughts that race across our minds when we're lying quiet at night and God is whispering to us to act on the things that he is telling us to do. And we say, no way, I could never do that. I could never, God. And we don't give God complete surrender, complete control of our hearts. See, you have no idea what God might want to use you to accomplish in our world if you would just be available to him, if you just say, God, you're in charge, whatever. I remember when Tara and I, we got married, we believed God was, was calling us to help start a church in the inner city of Philadelphia. I was born in Philadelphia. I lived there in the suburbs for the first nine years of my life. And uh, then my family moved a little bit further away, about an hour and a half outside of Philly. And, but I believed that God wanted to do something in that city. I still have a heart and love that city. And I wanted to move back in. I believed God was telling us to, to be a part of this community and to live there and to start a church. And it was a scary community. In West Kensington, where we were, it was, had the biggest drug trade in all the city, all of the region, in fact. Uh, 80% dropout rate from high school most years. Uh, it was uh, the highest violent crimes of all the precincts in Philadelphia. But we believed that God had different plans. We thought he wanted, to, he wanted us to be a part of this mighty movement that he wanted to do there something great to change the future of that neighborhood. And I remember one family member getting in my face, screaming at me, saying, what are you doing? Why are you throwing your life away? Why are you taking your wife into that community where it's dangerous to live there? What are you doing? Don't you realize people are moving out of that neighborhood? Why are you moving in? See, all he could see was the immediate need in front of him, our safety, our security, our comfort. And perhaps those are the three greatest idols in the American church. 
How many times have we said no to God in the name of our safety, our security, or our comfort? This family member didn't see what God might have done to change the world. It comes back to this question for you. Who will you let be in control of your heart? Will you let God? See, Esau knew the promises. He knew what had been promised to his grandfather. He knew what he had the chance to be a part of in the future that God wanted to do. But all he could focus on was right in front of him. All he could focus on was that immediate need. He was hungry. He was going to die. And he couldn't wait for the future. And he was not in a position to wait on God's promises. He was fine being in control of his life himself. He had a better plan, better than God's plan. And so Esau in verse 32 says, look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? I want to say, really Esau, you're about to die? I mean, you seem to walk in under your own power when you came in from the field. I mean, you're really going to die? But you know what? We, we've all heard that before. I've said that before. Man, if I don't get this right now, I'll never be happy. If I don't get this right now, mom and dad, I won't have any friends. If I don't have this thing right now, how many times have we said that? And that's what Esau was saying. What good is this birthright to me in the future if I'm going to die right now? Esau could only see what is right in front instead of the long-term potential of what God wanted to do. And so now Jacob, he sees his chance. He's been waiting for his whole life. And so he says, no, verse 33, swear to me first. So Esau swore an oath to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Esau, wouldn't you love the chance to just drop in right here in the story and just say, time out, Esau, just, just pause. Just, just wait for a second, okay? Just wait, because you are trading away your entire future, you're trading away all this potential that God has for you just so that you can have a bowl of soup right now. And, and don't you wish that sometimes someone would have stepped in in your life on different occasions and just said, wait a second, you are trading away God's best for you. You are trading away God's future for you so that you can meet some immediate need right now to be safe, to be comfortable God doesn't always send someone in because he's already given those things to us. He's already told us. He's already prompted us. That's why we're thinking about these things. And, and that's why he moves in us. And so we know what he wants us to do. We're just scared. And Esau, I guess, he was scared too. Because unfortunately, he does what we do. Look at verse 34. Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and he drank. And then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Between you and me, I've never liked lentil stew. If you invite Taryn and I over for dinner, there's lots of other good choices to make. It's biblical. You shouldn't eat lentil stew. So Esau, he reaches out and he takes the stew. He eats it. And why does he go for it? 
because he can only see what's right in front of him, he does the same thing that we do. He despised his birthright. Are you guys despising God's best for you? Maybe you're so focused on what's right in front of you, what you've always known, and so you haven't given your life fully over to God. You've not surrendered every part to him. Perhaps like Esau, you, you are trading your potential to satisfy an immediate appetite. Maybe for you, it's, it, it is safety and security, and you just kind of, you know, this is what I know, this is where I'm from, this is what I do, and I'm just content right here. I'll just be content. Hey, I'll just sit on the sidelines. Maybe I'll serve a little bit once in a while, but you know what? That's good enough for me. Are you willing to completely surrender your life to God? Because you don't have any idea what he could do through you if you would allow yourself to have him be complete in control. What he wants to do through you in this world might just blow your mind. Are you trading that potential to satisfy an immediate appetite? Maybe it's not safety and security. Maybe it's something else. <clears throat> Maybe it's money and power. Maybe, maybe you, you're, you, you love money more than you love God, and you think that you can provide better for yourself than God could provide for you, and so you're, you're going to do what you want to do. You're not going to trust him to provide. Maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a career, and so you're all about work and accomplishments, and man, you're awesome at work, but you're trading that for your family, and you stink at home. You're trading your power, your accomplishments for your family. Maybe it's, maybe it's sex. You, you just want to be so, so you want to have so much pleasure and you're trading that. You want that and you're, you're trading God's best for you, God's potential for you for, for a wholesome, faithful, intimate relationship with a spouse one day in the future or even maybe right now. You are married and you're trading that for pleasure, God's best for you, what he could do through you, but you're trading it to satisfy an immediate need, an immediate appetite. Oh, or maybe it's love and acceptance. Maybe you'll trade anything for that, to be recognized. We have so many things that war inside of our minds for our affections, so many things that, that, are, that are crying out for us to, to meet a need instead of waiting for God's best for us and being available to whatever he wants and wherever he wants to take us. But here's what I know about Esau's appetite, and here's what I know about our appetites. See, none of them are really evil. God created those things. That desire to be successful to, to, to do great things in our world, you know, to accomplish great things at work. God put that inside of us. Man, he, he is super creative. You look at the world he made. You look at the kind of hard worker that he is. That desire to, 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 to provide for our family, to keep them safe, God put that in us. God, God he, he keeps, we build a sense of security for our children as we provide for them, as we're there for them on a regular basis, as we're, as we're faithful to them. God made us that way. See, those desires are, are not wrong. But here's the thing. Sin distorts our desires. And so we are tempted to satisfy them outside of God's will. 
Sin distorts them, and so they become stronger than they should be. And we feed them, and, and we allow them to be, to be outside of God's will and God's direction. But here's what I also know <clears throat> from my life. And here's what I know from your lives and from this story and from other stories in the Bible. Here's what I also, here's what I also know, and this just stinks, is our desires are never fully satisfied. Do you know that? Our desires are never fully satisfied. No matter how much food we eat, we still get hungry. No matter how much sex we have, we still want more. No matter how many drugs we take, we still need more. No matter how safe we try to make ourselves, we still never feel safe. No matter how much success we have at work, we still need to get that next goal. We still need to nail that next sale, that next thing. You see, our desires are never fully satisfied. The biggest lie that we fall prey to over and over again is that if I'll just get this one thing, then I know I'm going to be happy. I know, then I'll be content. Then I'll stop. And it's just not true. If I just meet this one person, this person of my dreams, then I know that life will be awesome for me. And I will be so happy. It's just not true. It's a lie. Because our desires are never fully satisfied. Listen, outside of Christ. Because with Christ, our desires are satisfied. With Christ, your desires, my desires, they can be satisfied. We can live content when we live inside of God's perfect plan for us. And that is why he asks for complete control of our hearts because he knows that is when we will be fully alive and that is when we will be fully satisfied when he has number one, number one spot in our heart, when he is in control of everything, when we can put our head down on the pillow at night and know that we have given God our whole lives. There's no, there's no time that we've ever said no to him. We've never regretted it. God, I've given you everything from this day. I'm doing it. That is the way to live. That is the way to live and be a part of the adventure that God has created for us. See, you and I, we have no idea what God's going to ask of us in 2014. We have no idea what he's going to allow us to do if we will completely surrender to him. I imagine Esau went back out that day after he ate, or maybe he went to bed if it was late. And you know what? He woke up the next day, and I think it's pretty safe to assume that he was hungry again. But you know what? When he woke up the next day, he did not have his birthright anymore. Esau missed his chance to play a larger role in God's big story because his appetites for other things were greater than his appetite for God. If Esau would have only known about his future 12 sons, 
If he would have only known how those sons were going to have families that were going to grow. And then they were all going to move to this country of Egypt. And how when they were there, they would be slaves for 400 years. But during that time, they were going to grow into this great nation that God was going to call his own people. And if Esau would have only known that after those 400 years, God was going to raise up this man named Moses, who was going to be a shepherd. And one day when Moses was watching his sheep, God was going to come and speak to him in a burning bush. And God was going to come and Moses was going to say, I don't know, who are you, Lord? And God was going to introduce himself to Moses. And the God of the universe was going to say to Moses, I am the God of Abraham. And I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of Esau. But that's not how it happened, is it? In the book of Exodus, when God comes to Moses and Moses says, who are you? The God of the universe introduces himself to Moses and he says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And it was all because Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. You and I, we have no idea what God wants to do in us to change our world. We just don't know. And the ultimate question that it comes back to is, who will you let be in control of your life? Who will you let be in control of your life? Listen, I want to tell you that God sees all kinds of potential in you. God sees all kinds of potential in you and your story, your past. God sees potential in that. God wants to use you to do great things. It is not too late. I don't care what your age is. It is not too early, and it is not too late to jump on board with God's plan for your life. God wants to do amazing things, and you have no idea how he could use you to accomplish, what he could use you to accomplish in our world you know, whenever I get to go back to, to Philadelphia and I go to Urban Hope Training Center, the church that Tara and I were helped to start, man, we well up with tears when we just think about those days. We see what God is doing now. We think back and we think, man, what if we would have missed that because we were safe, we were scared, and we wanted to be safe, and we said no. And those of you guys that have been there have seen the remarkable things that God is doing and has done there and how he's changing a neighborhood. What if we would have missed that? You know what? God is writing amazing stories all over the world. That's just my story. Man, and your story is going to be different than mine. Your journey is going to be different than mine. That's just my story. And God is writing amazing stories like that all over the world. Just like he did 2,000 years ago when, when the Christmas story was being written. And God used ordinary people because they were simply available Listen, are you available? Are you available to God? Is your heart available to him? Whatever he wants, whatever he's going to call from you this year in 2014, are you on board with whatever God wants to do in your life and through you to change our world? You have no idea what God might want to do. Even though your story is different than mine, I bet each of you know right now what it is that is competing in your heart with God. 
I bet each of us know what our appetite is that is holding us back from complete surrender. Isn't it time that maybe you would just give that over to God? Wouldn't it be time for you to say, God, no more. I'm not gonna fight you anymore. God, you're in control. God, you are number one, whatever, wherever I'm in. What are you trading your future for? What immediate need are you trying to satisfy right now? Is it safety and security? Is it wealth? Is it pleasure? Is that what you're trading for your God potential? Is it something else? I want you to think about that. You probably don't have to think very hard. You probably already know. I, I, I know what struggles in my heart. What are you holding back And where are you holding back complete surrender to Jesus and his perfect will for you? Couldn't today be a great day to say, God, no more. God, I'm in. I'm surrendering it all to you. Maybe you did a long time ago. Maybe now you just need to renew that because you've sort of gotten far away. You were following God's plan for you, but then you sort of got nervous and you got off track and now you're just settling. What is God's plan for you? you know what God is calling out of you? Listen, what if an entire church, what if an entire church would say, God, whatever you want, wherever you want to send me, God, I am in. Whatever it is, God, you are in charge of my life. What if an entire church would say that? You see, I believe the great, the next great move of God could begin in northern Indiana. I believe that God could do the next great move on this planet. It could start right here. And that's what our leadership team believes here at Grace. That is what we have given our lives to. Will you give your life as well? Lord Jesus, we come to you because you have placed a holy calling on each of our lives. Lord, we are it. You have called us, Lord, to reach this world with the gospel, with your love. We're it. There is is no backup plan. It is the church of Jesus Christ. And we are the most powerful force on earth when we are surrendered to you. God, I honestly believe there is nothing that could stop us if we would just make you first in our hearts. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would move in these rooms. I pray for repentance, Lord, in my own heart. Lord, where I have set up idols, things that have been more important than following hard after you. God, I pray that you would shower your, uh, your amazing love. That's what leads us to repentance on each heart here. God, you're you're not saying, "Uh, you missed it, you blew your chance. No, God, you're saying, I can still write you into the story. I can still use you in a great way. God, I'm so glad for your grace. So glad for your amazing grace that gives us another opportunity today. But Lord, I don't want to waste anymore. God, I pray as we come and as we sing, Lord, we, we do this week after week. And we sing songs that say, your will, 
your way, always. God, I completely surrender to you. And, and God, I have to wonder sometimes if we're not lying right through our teeth. Because God, I know that I'm selfish. And God, I believe, I gotta believe there are others here that are like that too. That are not completely surrendered to you wherever you would take us and call us. God, I pray that you would do great things through our church in 2014. And Lord, I know that starts with each individual heart. God, we invite you to move in these places right now. In your son's name we pray, amen.